1: Greetings, Blenders, and welcome to Real Blend, a podcast with three co-hosts and yet only two Jason Momoa selfies. It is Ah. Tuesday, (laughs) 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 and that means it's show day, and that means we are live on Cinema Blend's Facebook page. So if you happen to be watching the stream over there, please drop us a comment and producer Gabe will send it over to us. So let me get the introductions for this week's show out of the way. My name is... Sean O'Connell, of course, the managing director at Cinema Blend and one of three illustrious co hosts of the weekly Real Blend podcast. And it brings me tremendous pleasure to also turn the microphone over to Kevin McCarthy of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. Kevin, hello.
2: Sean, how are you, sir? Jacob, how are you, sir? By the way, I don't know if we've ever said this on our show, but I think we need to mention this because this is a very important detail that I think we uh, have just kind of kept under the radar. What? Jake's. First two names in his name are based around Twilight. Uh, I think his mom knew Twilight was coming out, so his first name is Jacob and his middle name is Edward. And that's an actual legitimate
0: thing. Oh, is I that right,
1: Bella? I thought his middle yeah. name was Bella. Yeah,
0: that's accurate. And seeing as uh, Twilight is the only film series for which I did every single junket, I got so desperate for questions by the end of that series. That I start doing a bit about my own name and how there should be a team Jacob <laughs> Edward. That's how. That's how you know you are at the bottom. Not only are you at the bottom of the barrel, you've dug through the bottom of the barrel, and now you're digging into the ground trying to find questions.
2: If you actually secretly walk through Jacob's Jake's house. Uh, it, Twilight is bed sheets, uh, his pillows. He's he's the biggest Twilight man you'll ever meet. In my your biggest life. concern
0: is why would you be secretly walking through the house <laughs> if anybody sees your house?
1: <laughs> that is Jake Hamilton of uh, Fox Thirty Two in Chicago. Official official introduction, Jake. How are you, sir? <laughs> Jonathan, damn good to see you, sir. Good to see you also. Um, we uh, we got a lot to get to this week, obviously. Um, this is episode number 47. We are working our way towards episode number 50. As we get into the, the heart of December, it's ridiculous that, that this year, the summer blockbuster season uh, has broken off a piece of itself and moved into December because <laughs> it feels like we have a million blockbusters coming and then... Um, Just junk it, like like an insane amount of junk. if you guys have been listening to the show on the regular, you know that the three of us typically uh, travel to uh, press events most of the time in New York and Los Angeles. We've been able to sort of run into each other at events for Aquaman. Kevin was talking about the fact that that last weekend he did – Kevin, what did you say? You did to L.A., to New York, to L.A., back to the East Coast?
2: It was insane. Yeah, Thursday night I flew to L.A., and then Friday morning I did Spider-Man uh, and Mowgli in L.A., and that was Christian Bale and Shamik Moore, and then I flew back to New York Friday night, landed at 1.30 in the morning, and Saturday I did Mary Poppins and If Beale Street Could Talk, Sunday I did Aquaman and Ben is Back, then flew back to L.A. Sunday night, uh, and then did Deadpool yesterday, and bird box and then flew home last night and now i'm with you guys insane from and, dc <laughs> and we,
0: and we have- how do you not get upgraded more often i do not understand how you fly this much and don't get upgrades zero upgrade on any of those that flights. blows uh, my mind well, i the reason is you and i get
2: upgraded the reason is is because well i fly like 150,000 miles a year um but the dc to la route is probably one of the most popular routes in the country i would assume and same with new york so yeah i mean i, I mean i, I you always tell them who
0: you are no but i, I you I, are I, the co co-host of real blend no I mean, well, yeah,
2: <laughs> just, that just is true lead
0: with, just say that as you're walking onto the plane and then just drop your crap on the yeah. first first class oh seat that you see and then, and then they and throw me in a middle down. seat
2: in row 40 <laughs> what <happens> if i, <laughs> if I <say> that next <laughs> to some guy who
1: was passing extreme gas oh, oh, oh my that god would, that, that would be kevin
2: by the way, I, I, I have a special place in my heart. Gabe is already losing for, it. We are for, already so for, off No, the he rails. likes this. This is good material. But people that pass gas on airplanes, you know, I, I will say they're... <laughs> I'm, being, I'm being serious about this, is a this good for topic. a second. It's a good topic. No, I'm being serious about yeah. this. Here, it, it's, such, it's such a stealthy move. And I, I honestly, I don't get mad. I'm kind of impressed that people pull it off. <laughs> because you don't know who it is. I'm being serious. Right. Like it's, I look around and I look for people's facial expressions changing and Dude,
0: no, no, uh, no. There's gonna, a, gonna... there's a special circle of hell for people <laughs> that fart that, that <laughs> on an airplane.
2: But we're... Jake, Jake, I mean, we fly as much as we fly. Okay. We have to move on. We really no, have to move no. on past this topic. As, to keep us brief. Does it happen a lot to you on the plane? Jake it happens really. to me all the time. No. I don't know why. Is it me? Is it, it me that I'm... Is it you that's actually doing no, it? No, is it me that just... The people... I don't know. I have no <laughs> idea. We are getting
0: <laughs> such a hard rap from Game We Runner.
1: are going to move to news because we have so much to get to this episode. Um, we're going to play a, a round of Rising and Falling. We're going to have um, an update on the AFI, release their top 10 list. It's going to get us to talk about a couple of the movies that we've been able to catch up on the past couple of weeks, movies that are in the Oscar contention. We are going to have a spoiler-free review of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Before we get to news, I have to give a quick shout-out to our London... Fans who yes. got together and and did a little meet and greet without us, which I think is awesome. That's so funny. Yeah, phenomenal. they didn't
0: even invite us.
1: No, no, we're we're not even not, part not of the even equation. like
0: a hey, were you? Are you maybe going to be in London? Nope.
1: Nothing. And in fact, there was someone who wasn't at the first meet and greet, so it's almost like it's growing. <laughs> we're not even we're not <laughs> even part of it anymore. So uh, if you guys find a way to get together uh, in your own markets because you all happen to be fans of real blend please send us pictures and we will continue to share that on our social much like we share uh reviews over on our itunes page we have um 66 star ratings we have 35 reviews the latest came to us from brendan wagaman 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 i'm gonna go that route brandon who says great for commute oh this is really cool i don't know if you guys read this yet This is a podcast I typically listen to on my commute. I do about a 15-minute to and from commute to my work. A lot of times for podcasts, I typically just save it for the next ride to and from work. But this one, once I'm done with the commute, I stick my earphones in my ears and finish the podcast as I want to hear it all the way through to the end. Great podcast to listen to. So I think that's fantastic. That's awesome. Thank you, Brandon.
2: Thank you, Brandon. That's awesome.
1: You're a good man. Uh, News. So last night... During Monday Night Football, this is Tuesday, we're recording this, the second trailer for Captain Marvel dropped. Uh, obviously not the trailer that Marvel fans are waiting for. Everyone's sort of poised waiting for this Avengers 4 trailer to drop, and it's not here yet. Uh, so when that does drop, uh, we're not going to be able to get together and record another podcast, unfortunately. But you guys jump on uh, our Twitter feed, at RealBlend. Send us your reactions to the Avengers 4 Um T- trailer once it finally does drop, we'll react to it on social. Uh We'll interact with you guys there. And of course we'll talk about it on next week's show. But what do you guys think about the Captain Marvel trailer? Is it getting you excited for the March, 2019 debut of Brie Larson's hero? Meh. Meh. <laughs> no, it's not doing it yet.
0: No, and honestly, I had a real, I love Brie Larson. I think she's a fantastic actress. Obviously it has an Oscar under her belt. So what do I know about acting? But I, and I really hope it's because some of the lines were taken out of context and you need to see them in the scene. But in the trailer, the delivery of some of her lines, I just thought, was so flat. Really? And it's so conflicted with the action that we're seeing on, on camera. I felt like I was listening to someone act. Someone okay. pretend to be a stupid, someone, to, someone reading words off of a, of a sheet of paper. Honestly, I, I sometimes I watch those trailers and I think, oh, cool, I want to see it. And then I have to actually catch myself and go, okay, do I want to see it because I just know I need to see it because it's part of the MCU? Or Mm. does that trailer actually look good? Mm. And I think it's the former for me. I think I just want to see it because I know I need to see it. And I know it's the precursor to Avengers 4. I don't want to see it because the trailer made me want to see it.
2: That's an interesting point. And I actually, it's fascinating to say that because... Um, the new trail, the new trailer for Captain Marvel didn't impress me anywhere near as much as the first one did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, agreed, agreed, hundred percent. And the first one was great. And, and listen, yeah. and we all know this: a trailer can be unbelievably awesome, and then the movie could be absolutely awful. Um, and then vice versa. So, um, I think that this new trailer was just passable. It didn't like. Blow me away! I did like the last sequence where it almost had um, an Iron Man feel to the what she, what she was mm-hmm. doing at the end of that trailer. Um, and then I think the cat thing was funny with uh, Nick Fury; I thought that was kind of cool. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I, I like I like little random things like that. But yeah, listen, I think Brie Larson. Uh, I think she's a great choice for Captain Marvel. Uh, we can sit here all day and debate about how the trailer is going to imply how well the movie is going to be, but we all know Marvel's brilliant at misdirecting. Um, and and the way and, you know so. You know, I I don't put a ton of faith into a trailer and how the outcome of the film will end up being. Um, we all Ready Player One was a great example. The first couple of trailers for that movie weren't amazing, and then that final one with take on me was amazing. Uh, and then the movie was clearly amazing. So um, yeah, I mean, I'm with Jake. I think the the trailer didn't do much for me this time around. Had some cool stuff. Um, uh, but yeah, the first one, the blockbuster scene in the first one was so cool. That, that to yeah. me spoke to the nineties. Nothing in this trailer really felt nineties to me. Um, well, and I'll truthfully, say, yeah.
1: I'll I'll just say Marvel at this point could do four or five bombs in a row and I'd still give them the benefit of the doubt. Like we yeah. were 20 films into this thing. They haven't had a flat-out stinker. There might be some where you're just like, "eh, it wasn't quite as good as some of the other ones," but it's still entertaining. And if Captain Marvel happens to be that, which I don't even think it's going to be, I think I, I think their quality control is so tuned in that they won't let a uh, mediocre film sort of slip through the cracks. They they're they're on top of every aspect of that film. But I do agree with you guys that I haven't yet seen a moment in Those trailers, and especially you guys are exactly right. The first one, the first trailer cut is better than the second trailer cut. It just it felt like it had more of an emotional impact than this one. Yeah,
0: that um, first time that her became hero, yeah, in that first trailer was yeah. such a gut punch, like a, oh my god. And using it again this time sort of felt like hey guys, remember, remember when we did it the first time? Wasn't yeah. that really cool? Like, here I it know. is again, here it is again.
1: Well, and seriously, uh, once it hits, I mean, Avengers 4 is right behind it, and it's just going to decimate. Yeah. Everything you know, so I don't know. We'll say.
2: Pardon my ADD, but when we get to the Clint Eastwood uh, uh, blend today, just remind yeah. me. Just remind me that I said. Remind Kevin about the connection to the mule. Just remind. Just remember that. Just don't. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not making a joke, Gabe. <clears throat> I just. I'm just don't, I don't want to forget because I'm a pen. Gabe, write that I mean, I down. I said that. Yeah, remind me I that didn't I even that.
1: mention the fact that this week's blend game is Eastwood blend, and people have been there playing along on social. but I absolutely appreciate yeah. that. And later in the show, we are going to good play.
0: reaction on social
1: hashtag Eastwood blend. And do we mention now that the three of us have found out now that we're lucky enough yeah. to get Clint. We're all going out to Los Angeles uh, this weekend to interview Clint uh, for the mule. So super and it's excited. My about that.
0: first time, Sean, you've gotten him before. And Kevin, you've gotten him before.
2: Yeah, this is my fourth time. This is like, uh, the, but the. this is kind of crazy. I'll, I'll tell a very 30 second quick story about Clint Eastwood. I was in the hallway waiting, waiting to do the uh, interviews for the movie Sully. And, Uh, Tom Hanks' room was unoccupied at the moment because he was waiting to get there to do his interviews. Clint Eastwood comes downstairs to do some quick promos for IMAX, for Sully in in another room, and he's walking down the hallway, and one of the people at Warner Bros. was cool enough to go, hey, do you want to pop into Hanks' room for a second and do a couple quick interviews with some journalists? So I literally would just happen to be at the right place at the right time And I was one of the two people who got thrown into that room, which was Tom Hanks' interview room, while he wasn't there yet, to interview Clint Eastwood. And during that interview, Eastwood just ate peanuts. It's a great video. Yeah, It's worth
0: worth YouTubing. And he's giving great answers. It's not like he's being disrespectful or mean, but he's just munching on peanuts. But to me, I thought it's cool because you look like two guys hanging out talking film while one of them just happens to be eating peanuts. Wait, I I wish
2: I asked him for a peanut to to chew on it while I was talking to him. That's the only thing I wish I had done.
1: Jake. So Jake and I got Momoa um, at the Aquaman Junket on a different day than Kevin did. So Kevin, this might not be an issue for yours. But Jake, did anybody comment on the fact that he was chewing gum the whole time?
0: I didn't notice he was chewing. I don't think he was chewing gum
1: during that oh, interview. Oh, okay. So find mine. It's on Cinema Blend's YouTube page, and he's chewing gum the entire time. And there's, like, people making <laughs> comments or anything, they're like, yeah, extreme teacher voice. Mr. Momoa, if you didn't bring enough gum for the whole class, no. please, please. And please I, I also
0: know someone else. I did you get him? This is such a weird question. Did you get him hair down or hair up? Because I know people yeah. later in the day, like, he would like, put his hair up in a like a ponytail. Hair down. And people were hair like, down, but like,
1: he had a yeah. pink scrunchie around his wrist. Me and too.
0: And people pointed that out. Yeah, yeah. Because I, yeah, I, I was, as weird as it sounds, happy that I got him hair down because everything in Aquaman, that's how he looks. But I know <laughs> some people that were upset later in the day that they got him hair up because they're like, they're like, oh, that's the whole look is to have his hair down and flowing. It's pretty funny. Mostly my my big thing was it's about me. So I don't understand why they were so worried about how, how his hair looks.
2: <laughs> the hair in Aquaman is all CGI, which oh, blows yeah. my mind. Yeah. I, I cannot
0: believe that. I, uh-huh. I
2: thought maybe that they like... I thought maybe it was some of his hair being blown up with like a, with like a hairdryer or something like that, because it's not really underwater, but wow. Can you imagine being a CGI artist?
1: Yeah. The first time I watched that movie, I just stared at Dolph Lundgren's hair the entire time. It's just swaying back and forth in the water. I mean, they can't shoot any of those scenes underwater. None of that shot underwater. It's just wire work.
2: Can we make our big announcement yet? Uh, uh, Are we ready to do this? Um, I don't know if people have uh, told us what people is yet. Is first Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm no, curious this,
1: as to what this announcement <laughs> is. <laughs> no,
2: this is this is huge. So yeah. um, in Aquaman, oh, uh, it's actually my body. With Jason right. Momoa's head on top of it, so uh, when you watch Aquaman, that's literally my yep. body from neck down. But um, he's only talking
0: the- about the scenes that whenever uh, uh, Arthur Curry is in middle school, and that's that's the scenes that he's talking about. Beyond that, then it's actually Jason Momoa. Right? And
1: in <laughs> and in Vice, um, it's my body on Dick Cheney. <laughs> right. So Bale didn't Bale didn't gain the weight. Bale's had- <laughs> face on my chin and body.
2: <laughs> oh my god, uh, I, this is actually kind of crazy. So I was interviewing Christian Bale for Mowgli, and we were talking about performance capture that he does in Mowgli versus the the weight he gained to play Dick Cheney. Did, I don't know if you guys saw the clip I put on Twitter today, but Bale called Gary Oldman uh, on during the process of preparing for Dick Cheney, and he goes, "Hey Gary, you know what did you do to prepare to play Churchill?" And, and and he goes, Gary, I've, you know, I've already I've already gained twenty pounds. Am I am I on the way there? And Gary Oldman goes, Wait, I didn't gain any weight for church. So what are you talking about? <laughs> and, and and then Christian Bale's like, No, 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 Gary, seriously, I'm already I'm at twenty pounds. How much did you actually gain? He goes, I, Christian, I didn't gain any weight
0: at all. It's all prosthetics. And well, so wasn't Bale that pretty was like, Well documented, like wasn't it very well documented ba- that Gary Oldman? Bale didn't like, at, that. At, at no point in in the conversation of Darkest Hour did I think that Gary Oldman gained weight. But then, why do we think uh, that Bale gained weight? Because he did.
2: But I mean, I don't. I, to me, I don't no, know. I, I listen. Part of me watching knowledge. Vice.
1: Part of me watching Vice thought he was using some sort of prosthetics. I cannot believe yeah. really he put that weight on. I can't believe it. Yeah, I mean, we're, I'm we're sure all some over of the it's place. We are ADD yeah. episode. It's <laughs> okay. <laughs> we're about... We're that, that's the point of the podcast. We can go off topic a little bit. We can go off topic, yes. I'm going to bring us I, back yeah. around to a film Game, that I know Kevin Game, wants Game to is Just throwing on. his headphones down and <laughs> walking out of the room. Um, I want to bring up Bohemian Rhapsody for this reason. Um, it's the movie that just won't go away. Uh, You know we're we're waiting for uh, these other movies to sort of come up and challenge what we think are the frontrunners. And one factor that we talk about often with films that can potentially contend for awards is box office. Um, You have to potentially do well. If you're making 12 million, you know total, there's a good chance that you're not going to get that much conversation. Bohemian Rhapsody is dominating at the box office. It just keeps packing it in. Uh, 164 million domestic. It's 540 million global. I'm past the point of believing that it's just Rami, I'm starting to believe that it could do uh, better in other categories. I don't think Singer gets in for director necessarily, but this no, could easily... No,
0: no chance Singer it,
1: gets in. But in a 10-picture field, it's starting to feel like it could get there.
0: But I don't know what... I don't know, man. I, I just I still don't feel like there's enough love for it. And at the end of the day, there's got to be love for the movie. And, and uh, yeah, a lot of people, everyone I talk to Universally agrees that Rami's fantastic, but I don't get enough people truly loving this movie. Though, then again, every movie that's supposed to come out that's supposed to be Oscar worthy, that's supposed to be great, has sort of been met with met. that's why I still think a Star's Born is still such a big frontrunner, is because every movie that was supposed to challenge it uh, is, is not doing well, great. And even something and- like Green Book has failed at the box office, to your point. Um, so that, I think well, that hurts its chances a little bit. We're going
1: to get to the AFI in a second too, but you're, you'll see the t- two of the titles that keep showing up as these bigger groups um, are releasing their year-end top tens. It's Black Panther and Quiet Place. They're yeah. like blockbusters that came out much earlier in the year and they're lingering around because, like you said, people are looking at the slate of would-be Oscar contenders and they're not necessarily in love with these pictures. So, right. See, I'm,
2: I'm actually getting the opposite of reaction that Jake's getting about Bohemian Rhapsody. I'm seeing... Undying love for this okay. film. No, are you
0: okay? I'm talking about people within the industry who oh. vote and have a voice. Yeah, I'm I, about fans. yeah. The, the the average The average moviegoer loved it. Like I have yeah. people come up to me on the streets. I have people come up to me at work. Yeah, you're absolutely right. but In terms of yeah. people that have a voting voice. I don't know enough that truly love Bohemian Rhapsody. Okay, but
1: wait, what if it does really well at the Globes on Thursday? We have Golden Globe nominations on Thursday. I mean, so did the musical comedy category. <laughs> uh,
2: true. No, oh, no, but, like, but
0: Bohemian Rhapsody is going for drama.
1: Oh, is it really?
0: Why yeah, would it's it go the a, musical it's, it's, That's so going is, for drama until the Star is, is born. born. Oh, yeah, that's they, stupid. They just totally missed their chance. at it, Everything's going to go to Mary Poppins now. They just totally missed their shot. At, that's, at up really yeah. that's really well,
1: stupid that's really stupid
0: they, they missed, I mean, their shot dude
2: because we all know that i i think i think at the end of the day when it comes down to the golden globes if you don't put you you, you put bohemian in musical because the golden globe drama category comes down to stars born in roma i think roma's gonna win it
0: roma uh, roma can't win drama why it can it, i don't think a foreign film can uh compete for uh best drama at the golden globes it, so you, Alfonso Cuaron can get director, but Roma cannot win Best Picture Drama. It can win I Best think Foreign right. Film, but it not right. win Best Picture Drama. So wow. Best Picture Drama will likely go to A Star is Born. And then Rami uh, Malek, who could have won Best Actor in Musical or Comedy, will now likely lose to probably Bradley Cooper in the category. And the, what, nominations come out on Thursday. And then I think probably Lin-Manuel Miranda maybe wins. Or no, maybe Christian Bale maybe wins for Vice. Because
1: well, Vice I is going say, for comedy.
2: The reason I say Roma wins is uh, we just did it. We just did it.
1: Well, vice is a saying? comedy and Bohemian vice Rhapsody is, is a comedy. drama. Yep. Well, well, vice, it, vice
2: is vice is it, it is a comedy at times. It's right? funny. It's not, but I, it's I think terrifying. Vice is a
0: better. Yeah, I think Vice is a better fit in comedy than Bohemian. Though, then again, yeah. it also depends on your definition of the word musical. Like, is a movie about music a musical? In the in, in the same tradition that Mary Poppins is. Yeah, I see. What you're no, saying. I think Mary I Poppins is a straight up musical. No, so Mary Poppins is a straight up musical, but is Bohemian Rhapsody a musical?
2: No, uh, it's an interesting question because see, here the there's two different things here that are happening. In the music that happens in Bohemian Rhapsody happens within actual concert footage and yeah. real practicing of musicians. In my opinion, a musical is when people belt out in music right. randomly. I like yeah. out of out of nowhere, like a greatest showman or a lay Miz yeah, or right. it's, it's an interesting
1: So Star is Born doesn't fit yeah. Yeah. that.
0: But in terms of uh, angling yeah. yourself for your best potential to win, forget what category you should be in. Yeah. yeah. Fox should have put Bohemian Rhapsody in musical or comedy and it'd be done.
1: I so, thought you just uh, screamed out the F word at us.
0: Me too. I actually heard the F word at first, like, why
2: are you and then I heard so the angry? X come in. Yeah, but but I will say this—that's um, for I, our
0: I, private text conversations.
2: In my opinion, I was having a conversation about this yesterday. There, there, in my opinion, there are three films right now that, in my opinion, are the complete front runners for Best Picture. One what of these three is going to win, and either of them can win. I think it's Roma, Star Born, and Black Panther, and I think. So the critics group I have, um, I belong to Not Green Book. No, no. I think Green Book will will get nominated, but not win. Um, I think that my critics group in D.C., Wafka, we uh, we actually awarded Roma Best Picture and I believe Alfonso Cuaron Best Director. Um, That's why I was starting to wonder if Roma was starting to gain that momentum. And I didn't know that it couldn't win at the HFPA and the Golden Globes. But I'm telling you right now, I mean, like, that's the thing. Like, Roma... Roma, while it's different from any film we've ever seen before, it still fits into a very Oscar-y type uh, artistic box, even though it's different. I don't want to put Roma in an Oscar category, but it does feel more like an Oscar film than the other two. Um, But Black Panther winning, as we've mentioned before, would be a big impact and and open up the way Oscars are voted on. And then the second part is Star is Born, which in, in my opinion, out of the three, is the better film overall. So I think either of those three can win. I am curious where each of you lie right now. As if you were to, if you had to make your prediction at this moment,
0: what would win? Best picture? Yeah. I I would probably say a star is born. Because here's the deal, is that we talk about that inevitable backlash that usually comes in January after the nominations come out. It happened with La La Land, it happened to Social Network. Right. But but then the favoritism falls to usually that second movie that people are loving. And I don't feel like there's a strong enough second movie. Yes, a lot of people like Roma, but a lot of people like are on my you know even though not on this podcast but but i know a lot of people aren't as much on the roma bandwagon and their their voices just aren't as loud because it doesn't make them seem as cool i think roma is a much bigger threat than you think it is i think i i actually think roma is one of the biggest threats to
2: any film winning
0: this year i think you're discounting the fact that a lot of older uh academy members are not going to sit through that movie
2: I don't, dude. If the artist won Best Picture, which was a black and white film that took you back to the pre-sound, yeah, but that, but days. that was
0: also a love letter to, to themselves. That was, aren't we so great? There's nothing Roma, about Rome uh, that complements
1: itself. All right, well, let me bring up this. Let's get to this. We're gonna get to Rising and Falling, and I wait, wanted, Sean,
2: real quick. What's your? What, what do you think wins? If you had to pick it today, what wins?
1: If I had to pick it today, I would say Star is Born, but I, I think, think so.
2: Yeah,
1: I think that that is also the movie. In a way, I didn't want to believe with La La Land. It's the movie that people are just waiting for their chance to turn on. I think but
2: have you have you noticed how Stars Born is Born's being handled? It has not
0: become that film.
2: But like you, the, that
0: but that normally happens after nominations come out.
2: I don't know. I think La La Land hit this point in December. See, I think no, Stars. I, Born- I think it really hit its
0: point in January. But, but I Stars think Starsborn really hasn't I, done. Yeah,
1: I think in that second wave of after the nominations are out, that's when Roma has the chance to, and especially if Roma, for whatever reason, ends up leading in in the number of nominations. Like if it gets a lot of below the line because it's a technically wonderful yeah. film, if it turns around and says this is such a respected film and pushes that narrative, it could get ahead of Stars born. But well, I think what, it's one of those. What two.
0: technical nominations would Roma get that a Stars born wouldn't get? Because uh, also, A Star is Born will get all the acting nominations. I don't see Roma getting You don't think Starsborn could get cinematography? I think it, I think it's well shot, but is it like? Yeah, is okay, it all s- right. I mean, Roma will definitely get a cinematography nomination. Okay, I that's would one. even argue
2: that that. Well, I would even argue
0: that that dog first Poop? man,
2: dog first man? category.
0: <laughs> I think
2: First Man would get in over in cinematography. Over, no, you're, uh, no, yeah, over you're, you're,
0: that's fair. Okay, so cinematography Stars is Born. one, but I could see Stars Born getting the sound mixing and sound editing nominations, and Roma not getting them.
2: Are we going to get Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga performing at the Oscars? Yes, yeah, they've, they've already, they yeah, would. they've already
1: said they would. If yeah. that song gets so, nominated they'll perform it.
2: Does Bradley come out in character? No. I mean, I can't imagine. Uh, uh, you're, I just, you're just singing.
0: <laughs> no, I'm being serious. I like, didn't go have a no, hat. All I'm saying,
1: it's going to look uh, a little bit strange if it's just Bradley Cooper, well, right? It's,
0: and when they all came out in, for *Lay Miz, they just were, they, didn't they just like come out in regular clothes, like regular a, clothes, tuxedos. But Cooper like was like disappeared in that role. Like, I,
2: I can't imagine Bradley Cooper. playing I, that song. I
0: think he's going into Oscar and I thinking this could be the moment of his career. I doubt he's going to be worried about putting on a cowboy hat and whether his facial hair is the same. <laughs> I think he's thinking, look, I'm giving you the performance isn't that good enough now let me get back to my seat so i can win best i think Actor. he should
1: reenact the grammy scene from stars born
0: and himself what he's accepting is a warning oh my god it would could still be better imagine? than some of the performances that have occurred during the oscars <laughs> could you
2: imagine if gaga got up there winning to win best actress and then cooper went up he on stumbles stage up.
0: Like, no but no no but like like
2: in the yeah. way he would do it like he would just kind of walk up there just to give her a hug we would all go what's gonna happen like but like, i mean clearly but that that's a that i can't believe that scene was like shocking i couldn't
1: it um All right. I want to get to rising and falling this week. And I want to start it with the AFI who released their... Now, um, what was the other group that we did already?
0: Ooh, I well, have a good falling. By the way... Well, um, hold on uh, for a second. What, but, but, but have, what? Real fast,
2: on, on, that, on that scene in Stars Born, that's yeah. actually one of the most devastating scenes in the film for me, especially when a uh, few people who've seen Stars Born, after that scene occurs, when Dice Clay has to carry him to the shower. Yeah. Like, that scene... Yeah made me i just started weeping well, because it's a I great mean, it, scene because you also understand that uh,
0: for the perspective of a father where you just yes. ruined my daughter's moment yes and he's like, like sitting was, there trying
2: to help this yeah. guy and but he's also angry at yeah. him and like, i see i think dice is not getting enough credit for it's his true. performance i love he dice. Is unbelievable yeah i get that, that but film. i mean I,
0: honestly i'd rather live in a world where sam elliott has an Oscar. oh yeah
2: i agree i, I just think that I mean, you guys can't agree with me. Dice isn't being talked about at all. It's just, no. oh no, It's, Ellie. it's yeah. So I mean, mean, is I'm, he I'm,
0: even listed on that? Like whenever we, so whenever you, we get these screeners, we talk about getting screeners. A lot of times on the on the back of them, it suggests some of the people, and categories it would like to be nominated for. <coughs> um, under supporting actor, obviously it would have Sam Elia, but did it have Dice on there? I don't I don't know, so. but he's I he's very so. understated, and, am- no. and that scene is amazing. It really I is. I want
1: to pull back the curtain just a little bit. We have show notes that the other guys don't look at at all, and in it we have all these great topics, and as the show continues, Gabe just scratches them
2: all wait. Why <laughs> can't we
1: just go... No, of oh, course we, we can. No, longer. of course, we'll that's look the look point of the show. Longer. That's the beauty of the show. But the beauty of yeah. Gabe is that he scratches off all these fun things that we were going to talk about.
0: The beauty of Gabe is that face of his. <laughs> yeah, That's right, the beauty too. of Gabe. Wow. And that's how Jake just got five more minutes on the show. Ten? He
2: just doesn't want Boy, any topic. I have topic a good falling. I have a good falling. He, he doesn't want any topic to get Christian stale. That's all. <laughs> we'll, we'll just move on.
1: Fair <laughs> enough. The AFI did their 10 culturally and artistically significant films of 2018 i don't know why they can't just say the best films of 2018 but this is what it is according to the american film institute and i want to read through them all and then we can sort of backtrack and sort of unpack um but in order they put black k clan black Klansmen. black i keep calling black why k do Klansman? you call it's it black Cla- k, k Klansmen? what i call that's what it's that's how it's no it's it's black
0: Klansmen, but it's because it's kkk in the middle Black, you've been Black saying K Black K, K Klansman.
2: Klansman for like months. I don't understand. It's
0: not, it's not like he's, 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 It's not Sterling K. Brown. It's, 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 t- it's Black Klansman.
1: He turns to the camera and he goes, K is silent. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is. Middle K is silent. Uh, That's in Black my top Klansman, ten of the year. Eighth grade. If Beale Street Could Talk. Oh. The favorite. First Reformed, which keeps popping up on people's lists. Green Book. Mary Poppins Returns. Black Panther. A Quiet Place, and A Star is Born. Gabe wants us to note, Roma was not eligible for the main list, but was also recognized with an AFI Special Award for films outside of AFI's criteria for American film, according to the LA Times. A couple of tiles I want to pull off of this list because they... Like we mentioned earlier, they, they keep surfacing. And I think it's because as people put in their list together, they're like, "Ah, eh, all these November, December movies don't do anything for me. So we're going to keep looking back. So 8th Grade, I love that 8th Grade keeps showing up. That's that's on my top 10 so far. Uh, First Reformed keeps coming back. Uh, and then uh, Black Panther and Quiet Place are movies that were released. And, and Black Landsman were yeah. Yeah. released do you, do much play, earlier. Sean.
0: And I think you you mentioned this. And I think you're absolutely right. First Reformed would be on my top 10 list if it were not for the last five minutes.
1: Yeah, I agree 100%.
0: Like I, I was, remember I was texting you guys I was as I was watching the movie, like, guys, like this movie is a masterpiece. And then just the way it ends left me with such a, oh, why did you have to end that way? That's not the, I, know. Uh, yep. it I agree. So frustrating. So but pressure. you got to
1: judge the whole movie, yeah. I know. <laughs> and really, I know. a bad I ending know. can can torpedo a oh, film absolutely. that has great. But Ethan Hawke seems to be getting a lot of attention, and I yeah, which and, I'm okay um, with. Yeah, I, I, and First Reformed is is being trumpeted a lot by the critics groups. Now, it, it strikes me as a movie that definitely could just do well with critics groups. Um, yeah. But I don't know how it'll if that will help it necessarily in its Oscar race.
2: You know, Sean, on that list just now, you mentioned If Field Street Can Talk, and yeah. I, I just had the opportunity to see that over the weekend before yeah. doing the interviews. I gotta say, that film blew my mind. Like, it just, I mean, in the sense of the cinematography and Nicholas Brittle's score, who did the score for Moonlight, um, for any of our audience out there, when this film hits your, hits your market, um, mm-hmm. it's a platform release, so it's opening on the 14th in some markets, and then it goes throughout Christmas, and I know Jake did the Q&A last night, it is... It's so powerful uh, and it's so beautiful to look at in regards to shot choices. Um, But I did not, and and this might sound ignorant to me, it woke me up to something that I knew was an issue, but I didn't understand it fully until Barry spoke to me the way he did in this movie. Um, just this idea of what's happening to this character in this film. Um, and I don't know, it just made me want to go out and, and do something to help. I mean, it's, it's a it's a very relevant film that takes place, I believe, in the early 70s. I believe is the timeline on that, or sixties. I can't remember the exact. Uh, yeah, what decade is it the is. time
0: frame on?
1: I think it's the, the early seventies. The, Book was written 70s. in
0: seventy four. I,
2: I think it's believe. early
1: seventies. Yeah.
2: Okay, but I mean, it's just it's unbelievable. And Kiki Lane, I wish she was getting more um, okay. uh, discussion around her performance because she's amazing.
1: Well, and so I want to, and Jake, hold on, to your falling because I definitely do want to get that and remind me if I move off it because I don't want to move off it. But um, Regina King is plays the mom of. Kiki's character in the movie. Right. Yes, And she is showing up at the top of any time they're doing best supporting actresses by category. She's winning. And I, I loved Beale Street. Beale Street is in that 10 to 11 spot for me right now. It's when I keep moving into my list as I do my end of the year and it kind of keeps slipping off and I, I'm going to revisit it. Um, I don't remember her having a performance that stands out to me. Like, how come she's across the board blanket being put at the top of a category like best actress, best supporting actress? Did did, I mean did you that. guys leave that that movie saying like, oh, her performance was unbelievable. The two leads to me were better.
0: Uh, I, I agree with you. No, I agree, and I think I went into the movie after buzz about Regina King had already started. So I was sort of I was more looking for stuff, but I tried to picture if I didn't know any buzz about who was getting the most attention. Honestly, if I had to throw a nomination to someone, I would love, and I don't foresee it happening because I'm not sure he has enough screen time because he really only has one scene. Brian Tyree Henry. Oh yeah, that moment where he talks about without getting into it, essentially talks about what happens to someone in prison. Yeah, oh to God. me, I mean, to me, that is the ex- that is the reason supporting actor uh, the cat category exists. Yeah, for someone that can come in and just have I think I think literally the scene is twelve minutes, have a twelve mm. minute scene, and have me walking out praising the movie, loving the movie, but going my. God, that 12-minute scene was yep. unbelievable. Yep.
2: Well, the, the the beauty of that scene, and and we can be vague about it because we actually don't know what he's talking about specifically right. yet, uh, and, and Jake talks about that scene specifically, it's the horror in Brian's eyes yeah. in that sequence. His eyes um,
0: change. Yeah. Eye, you're absolutely right. His eyes, you could tell when he starts talking about oh. prison— yeah, something like a like something rolls over in his eyes, and he just he seems like a different person. To give a, a, just a brief perspective, basically,
2: Stephen James's character runs into Brian on the street after not seeing him for a few years, and Brian Tyree Henry's character has gotten back from um, from prison. And if I remember correctly, the reason he was in there was not at all uh, what he should have been in there for the time frame he was in there. It was like, he explains that to Stefan. It was was wrongfully, he was wrongfully put in there for the time period he was. Uh, I think he took a plea, I believe. Well,
1: and really Um, fast too, just to sort of mention, because there's probably a lot of people listening to this who haven't had a chance to see Beale Street yet. The reason why it's significant is because by the time that we get to that performance in the movie, we already know that the lead character has been imprisoned for something that he's saying he didn't do. So a lot of this is filling in the gaps of um, is he going to get a chance to prove his innocence and get out? Um, and, and he, and then in the course of that, the way that that story is told, I think it's beautifully structured. You get yeah. to a person who he knows who has been Who's in prison. Also- so the weight of the fact that he's in prison is, is weighing on all of us anyway. And then you meet this guy who is obviously affected by a prison Trump.
2: Yeah, and it's not a spoiler. I mean, it's just the character is just telling his stories about his prison experience, and we're talking about Brian Tyree Henry's character specifically. Uh, but that if scene, you're unfamiliar
0: like, with who Brian Tyree Henry, he plays Paperboy in in Atlanta. He's Atlanta, a, an amazing actor.
2: But this scene specifically, widows Jake, too.
0: Oh, widows. Jake, yeah,
2: Jake is so right though that it, it, it's it's almost it's it's what he doesn't say is what scares me the most. Yeah, because he never really goes into exact yeah. details of what he went through in prison. But we start. Yeah. I start picturing it and imagining the horrors of what happened right. to him. Um, yeah. But what he doesn't is-
0: say is far more horrifying. Because what what we imagine he's talking about yep. is far more horrifying than if he had said X Y Z happened to me. Yeah. And that's why
2: I always found not this is a strange connection to make, but that's why I always found seven to be so uh, brutal. Because oh, in-, in seven, it, you never really saw the acts take out. You just saw the aftermath and or an explanation of it. Right. Um, especially, Especially lust. That's the one that always horrified me, just the explanation of what happened. So to me, the power of a filmmaker, if you can help us visualize what it is without actually explicitly showing it to us, you've done your job. And I think that's what Brian Tyree Henry does in that scene so well. But to answer Sean's question about Regina King, yeah, I think... I think she's amazing in the film, and I think her sequences are incredible, but I would argue that, like Jake said, Brian Tyree Henry, in my opinion, had a stronger uh, uh, connection to me uh, from the film, but also I think Kiki and Stefan are not being talked about enough. Right. Like, I think they are just – I mean, if you if you talk to Barry Jenkins about how they shot those scenes uh, ac- across the window as they were on the phones in jail – they use this insane type of reflection cinematography that enabled them to actually talk through <coughs> these phones but see each other through reflections. It's very well done. Dude, um, this is the most uh,
1: pretentious thing in the world to say, but the glass that separates them at the prison is a character in the movie.
2: I agree. Yeah, yeah. I agree with you.
1: It is Dude. a character in the movie, and every time they were across from each other in mm. that scenario, I just felt the weight of... The, it was like a villain. It was like an antagonist. Yeah. Yeah. I agree, oh. dude.
0: That was a super pretentious thing to say, right? I know. No, I'm God. To, no, no, no. You're yes. absolutely right. No, you're absolutely right. There. Seriously. Well, yes.
2: the scary part. That, that, I mean, Sean's 100 percent right. That glass. That glass is the is the film's subject. Right. That's what the film is about. Is that separation for 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 nothing? And the, right. the crazy thing about the glass is that they can see each other
1: so clearly, but they can't touch each other.
2: Right. And yeah, there are some scenes. Yeah, it is, it is so powerful. Which is why I'm um, glad
1: M. Night Shyamalan's doing that spinoff in January. Because I want to <laughs> see what happened with that character later. Uh, Jake, right. you had a falling.
0: I do have a falling. Uh, and I never thought I would say this. Incredibles 2. Ooh. I oh, think, I know, I know I think Incredibles, I know even why. though I have not seen Spider-Man, Spider-Man mm. I know a lot of people that are putting it on their top ten list. I know a lot of people that are calling it not just the best animated film of the year, but the best Spider-Man movie ever, one of the best superhero movies ever. I think Pixar, who was they were probably already starting to write down their Oscar piece, speech, just paused yeah. and went, "Oh crap, we can lose <laughs> this in the last moment."
1: Right. Well, when they looked at the landscape and saw the Grinch, right, and and like no real competition, they're like, "Oh right. yeah, we got this in we the got bag." This. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk about Spider Verse um, in a little bit, but so wait, agree or, right. or, agree or disagree
0: that I, that A Credible Stew is falling.
1: Oh I just I agree. I think that that's a I think that's a really good choice. And it is it's so funny that like Pixar is the layup in that category every single right. year, you know. Nothing really gives it a run and but the animation in into the Spider-Verse is incredible and we can elaborate that when we get to that segment um i want to run real fast through a segment that we're doing um on the show each week just called this week in movies we're, we're in a real sort of limbo for the past two weeks because there haven't been major things coming and then for the rest of december there's gonna be nothing but major things coming but there's a couple of movies that are coming out this week and and as i rattle them through uh if you guys have something that you want to weigh in on them whether you just it's more like a recommend don't recommend whether people should go see this um Mowgli is a uh, legend of the jungle is reaching Netflix. People can actually start watching it on Netflix on December 7th on this coming Friday. I think it's going to be in a few theaters. Uh, Natalie Portman is in Vox Lux. Julia Roberts is in Ben is back. And then Mary Queen of Scots is doing its limited release. Um, I think you guys have seen all pretty much all of those or, or both. most of them, at least Kevin's done.
2: I, I've it. seen three. I have not seen Vox Lux, but I've seen the other three.
1: All right. I can talk to Vox Lux if you want to. Um, it's not good. It's not
0: good. Yeah. I My favorite I Sean, Sean like quote from his review is, Natalie Portman lost a bet.
1: <laughs> she plays a... It, it will. I, I will just say that she becomes um, a pop sensation, a Kesha-esque pop sensation. Um, but the the thing that triggers her to become this massive global pop star is a school shooting um, that she was like one of the lone survivors of. It was a really weird movie in the first place because you endure this really difficult school shooting scene um, at the beginning of the movie, and you wonder like where does that go? And it turns out that this girl who be, who was a survivor of it. Um, took all of her pain and suffering from surviving this and channeled them into pop music. Um, but then she just becomes like a, like an ugly person. Like she's really horrible to people and she's totally insensitive to people. And it's, it it was a really odd, odd project. And I don't necessarily know the point of it. And it just left me feeling really, really cold. So I don't know. That's coming into theaters this week. Um, Kevin, tell me about Mowgli. Like, is it, I've heard it's really dark and disturbing.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's definitely a darker telling for sure. Um, this is Andy Circus's version. I, I I feel really I feel bad for Andy Circus in the sense of like what happened with because that that was such an interesting thing because obviously Jon Favreau made his Jungle Book movie. Andy Circus was developing his film as well, um, and you know I believe Warner Bros. was supposed to originally release yeah, it, right? They and were, yeah. Went to, and you know, obviously, you know, <laughs> thankfully to Netflix, they came in and kind of saved the film and brought it over. So now it'll 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 get a proper release, which by the way, I saw a statistic yesterday that blew my mind. And I don't, if, I don't want to, I don't want to say the wrong number, but that Christmas movie that, that, uh, that Kurt Russell starring in Christmas right now Chronicles. on Netflix. Yeah. Has been viewed by 20 million people. Yeah. Since its release. I'm and, one of them.
1: Actually, we right, watch it as a family.
2: So <laughs> I looked at that, I looked at that number and I'm like, Oh my God, this is, and, and so now I'm going back to Mowgli. I'm like, this was a win for Andy Circus. Now it's like it's it, it's because had that come out in theaters, I don't think it would have done well because everyone was going to be like, oh, this is the that we already had a Jungle Book 3 movie three years ago. So I think this was a great move on. So I I, I get my, the reason I feel bad is I wish people could see it on the big screen because I know Andy worked really hard to get the performance capture and the visuals. Um, but, you know kudos to Netflix for for giving it a proper release, and they're still giving him some select theaters um, in in certain areas throughout the country. Um, Performance... I mean, the guy guy is a brilliant performance capture artist, so that's really why this movie works well, is Mm -hmm. because, you know, Christian Bale's doing performance capture, Circus is playing Baloo through performance capture. Um, It's much darker. It's not a kid's movie. There are actual stakes. There's real violence. There is death. Um, This is not... Uh, Favreau's Jungle Book. So um, the movie itself, yeah, I mean, I, I think people are going to be, it, that dark element of it I think is going to surprise people. I think people are going to be shocked at the dar- the darkness that goes. I wouldn't call it R-rated, I think it's more PG-13, but, you know, listen, it's Andy Serkis, the guy. I thought Breathe was actually very well done. I think he's a good storyteller, uh, and I'm I'm interested to see what people think about it. Kate Blanchett's great in it. Bale's great in it. Um, There's some great casting. Benedict Cumberbatch is Shere Khan, I believe. He was great. Um, You know, so I I recommend people watch on on Netflix or see it in the theater if you can, Uh, but it is very different from Favreau's movie, for sure.
1: Jake, would you recommend Ben is Back? I would not. Uh, I'm with you It feels
0: like Two different films That don't add up To something that is Worth recommending The first part Is A fairly decent Sort of uh, Unfortunately Sort of a very similar take As as what we're getting With Beautiful Boy Where a Mother is dealing with The fact that her son Unexpectedly returns home From rehab Whether he was given Permission or not Is unclear at the beginning uh, Given permission To actually leave rehab He shows up the mother seems very naive, yet also aware of who her son is because she's hiding jewelry. She's hiding uh, you know prescription medicines. And then, so that's the first half of the movie. And I was sort of into it. And, and mm-hmm. I, I love Julia Robertson. Any excuse where she's giving a good performance. She never really gives a bad performance. But she seems to be giving a particularly good performance in this film. So I was digging it for a while. I like Lucas Hedges. He's, he's, a, he's a good actor, obviously. He's in just about everything these days. And then the second half of the film, and correct me if I'm wrong... The second half of the film is essentially about the two of them in the car looking for a lost dog. And yes, yes, it does act as a catalyst for other things that are going on. And it does launch him into a few other things. But it is fair to to say that the second half of the movie is Lucas Hedges and Julia Roberts in a car looking for a dog. But the dog going missing, I thought... I See, here's the thing. So I I, I think, and,
2: and I mean this with the utmost respect, I think it's a bit of an oversimplification of what that is. I, I think the dog... Um, I don't know if this is spoilery to say, but can I say why the dog goes missing or is that too spoilery? No. We'll okay. All right. Anyway. All right. never mind. We'll move on. But, but, we'll okay. Get, here's we'll the deal. That is it, that,
0: that it should have been, it, it, it should have, that should have affected me more. I, I don't know. That, okay. It's, it's, it's I, I say skip it. I, I thought agree. the dog was, a, was a I good I agree tool. with Kevin's
1: bit that, yeah, the dog means more yes. in the grand yeah, scheme of the movie. the dog missing. Yeah. But they lean on it a little bit too hard. Yeah. So. Uh,
2: I, I, one thing I will say, by the way, Peter Hedges directed that movie. And this this when I saw I saw him in New York on Sunday for the interviews. This this is fascinating to me. If you look at the majority of Peter Hedges' films, most of them have a person's name in the title. What's Eating Gilbert Grape, Dan in Real Life, Ben is Back, Pieces of April, Mm. The Odd Life of Timothy Green. So I said I asked him I was like, why do you why do you do that? He goes, well, it's funny. Is my next movie also has a name in it? It's because he finds that putting the person's name in the writing or the title helps him center the story more it's like a mental thing did you it's say like dan
1: cool. in real life too he wrote dan in real life uh, yeah yeah yeah
2: and lucas know. hedges is actually in that movie has a small role
1: I just thought that Ben is back was a little bit long, and so someone needed to trim the hedges a little bit. Um, I want Kevin to talk about... Uh, oh. <laughs> the. Oh, Christmas- that was great. So, Thank you.
2: Thank you, Sean. Kevin had an opportunity that was, that was to good. see
1: a film that I'm super curious about, <laughs> but I don't know if he can talk about it yet. Uh, you saw Once Upon a Deadpool. Are I you did. Able- can you talk about
2: it? I, I don't know that I'm under any kind of embargo. I mean, I, I mean, here's the thing. I, I guess I won't get my official review, but I'll, I'll tell you... What it is? I mean, the trailer. What the hell is this movie? What is it? (laughs) Well, so I actually went back and watched The Princess Bride um over the uh yesterday before my interviews. If you can imagine The Princess Bride, it's the same thing. So basically, if you remember Princess Bride, we we open up in we open up in uh, Ben Fred Savage's room as a kid, right? His grandfather's reading him that book, and then takes us through the story of The Princess Bride with Carrie always and um, and Robin Wright. So this is the same. It's the same thing. I mean, the trailers show you that too, but. Very, very similar. They just throw... Deadpool 2, it just happens to be the story he's telling. Um, but so it's how
1: not, much of the actual Deadpool 2 movie is in it?
2: Like 80%? So, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's the majority of the film. But on top of that, since... The cool thing about Deadpool is that because he's under a mask, there's a lot of alt jokes... Yeah. So you you're getting different versions of the jokes than you saw in the film at times. There's also <laughs> different scenes. I mean, the trailers. The trailers show you this. Jake's Remember the trailers? Sold. I know Jake's not sold, but in the trailers you saw the up moment. You yeah. saw the. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, oh, by the way, so that that joke at the end of the trailer where Fred Savage is joking about Fox and yeah. and Marvel that goes that goes more extreme than that. It's actually really funny. Um, okay. but yeah, I mean, if if you like Deadpool two. It's basically Deadpool two, a bit filtered, but in kind of a funny way. Do but they do then, beeps? Do they beep out curses? Oh yeah, okay. oh yeah, yeah. There's All beeps. Right. There, yeah, you'll see. I mean, it it is exactly what you would think Ryan Reynolds would do with a PG thirteen version of Deadpool. So okay, okay but uh, let me
0: ask you: If I only thought Deadpool two was okay, is there any point in me seeing this movie? Not no. I mean, but but
2: I love Deadpool two, and a lot right, of people right. did. So um, it is it's basically like you re-watching Deadpool two. With a with about ten to fifteen, maybe more minutes. Uh, I don't. I don't want to give There's an exact number of it. But... No, no, no. I'm, I mean, I'm talking about the Fred Savage element. I'm talking about the um. They they alter some scenes. Um, but I don't. I don't want to say much because I don't know what I can say yet. But I will say that the film, if you're a Deadpool Two fan, it's the movie you saw with a bit of a different spin. That's that's kind all of all right. I can say. But I mean, I I enjoyed it as a Deadpool fan. That's all I will say. So if you're if you're a Deadpool two fan, you there's no reason you won't like it.
1: Okay, uh, I want to get to a spoiler free review of um, Into the Spider Verse, and it sounds like we're doing it early, but <clears throat> the embargo has lifted. We can talk freely about this review. Embargo is lifted uh, next week. By the time we get to go, the Aquaman review will have lifted. So I want to save that for next week. So Spider Verse doesn't open until December fourteenth, but um, Oh, Jake, you haven't seen it. Oh, shoot. No, so this this is fun for me. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Jake. Kevin, let's do it briefly, and then we'll get to Eastwood Blend. Um, there's a lot of hype around Into the Spider-Verse, and I went into it with expectations through the roof, and I'll just say that it topped them. Um, this is actually, I, I put this on social media, too. This is my number two movie of the year, and my number one is Infinity War, and this is my number two movie of the year. And it's it, it bothers me a little bit that my two movies... Um, for 2018, currently are superhero movies, and I don't know what I'm going to see between now and the end of this year that will that will shake that up. Um, but there's they're the two movies that emotionally moved me the most, and and of, of course that's just because of my connection to the characters in the Marvel universe, um, and especially Spider-Man. And Spider Man and the Spider Man. This is. Such an incredible Spider-Man story. And the funny thing about it is that it's mostly Miles Morales' story, and I'm not I didn't grow up reading Miles Morales, I read Peter Parker, but it gets the the all the beats of somebody who gets the Spider-Man powers, what they have to go through, what they have to sacrifice. Um, how they shoulder this load, how quite often they don't want to shoulder the load. Um, It focuses on uh, villains that we haven't seen on screen before and gives them uh, all the justification for why they should be there. The introduction of the multiverse, which if anyone's paid attention to the trailers for it, you know that there's something that happens that triggers multiple versions of Spider-Man to come to Miles' world, and they basically um, teach him how to be Spider-Man. And they're drastically different from, like, there's an overweight Peter Parker who has his own sort of emotional issues. Um, but then there's Spider-Man Noir, who's voiced by Nicolas Cage, who's from the 1930s. Um, there's Spider-Gwen. Uh, there's Spider-Ham, which is a pig in a Spider-Man suit. And it's by Lord and Miller. And a friend of mine, when they came out of it, they were like... Uh, you know, look, I'm a huge Star Wars guy and I love Solo and I was not on this bandwagon before this, but now i want to see what Lord Miller would have done with Solo. Like, they're so smart and they're so, um, they just understand their material so well. Uh, And there's a moment in this movie, I'll I'll say, this isn't a spoiler. We knew that Stan Lee had a cameo in it. Uh, The Stan Lee cameo in Spider-Man at the Spider-Verse is the moment in the film when I started crying. (laughs) And, and then I cried through, through through pretty much the rest of it. Um, it's it's fantastic. Um, I've given it five stars out of five. Second best movie of the year for me. And uh, it, it just it floored me on every level.
2: Yeah, and, and it, we, it's important to say that Sean is one of the biggest Spider-Man fans I've ever met in my life. So um, you have to take what he said very seriously because he's very close to the character. Um, and that is the, probably the truest review you're going to get of that Film in the sense of what a Spider-Man fan would expect from this movie. Uh, I come from a perspective of somebody who did not read the Spider-Man comics uh, uh, obsessively as a kid. So uh, we've had this debate on the show before. My favorite Spider-Man movie of all time is Spider-Man Two, uh, Sam Raimi's film. Uh, but and Sean has had issues with that. Uh, that being said, I'm with Sean on this. Uh, to me, it's for my rankings. It's right there with Spider-Man Two. So I, it's it's my. Tied for my favorite Spider-Man film at the at the moment. Um, Lord and Miller are, for lack of a better term, geniuses. I mean, these guys are so in tune with what fans love and know about characters, but making them feel different and special. Uh, you know, 21 Jump Street was a great example of that. I mean, they really kind of turned that into their own thing. Um, Spider-Man, yeah, I, the, to me, this movie was revolutionary from an animation standpoint. Um, I, I was talking to Lord Miller about the the way the animation was done. You're dealing with hand-drawn animation, matte paintings. Um, the, entire, the entire film pops like a comic book, uh, and there are literally lines through every frame of this movie as if you're reading a page um so to me that's what popped the most on top of that this incredible character arc that miles miles goes through uh Shameik Moore moore's brilliant as miles morales uh everyone in this film from a voice perspective uh there's a lot of surprises too which we won't get into um but also nick cage and this is not a spoiler he plays spider-man noir like who um uh, there's just so many like cool little things and here's the thing This could have gone badly because of how much is happening. There is so much going on in this movie. But like Infinity War, they pace it well. They keep it succinct. They keep it uh, interesting. But to me, the best thing this movie does is that it simultaneously has a very important message about diversity representation, but also always keeps you entertained. It never feels like they're trying to hit you with a message and that to me is a really hard thing to do as a filmmaker um, but the stan lee cameo that sean's referring to i i had spoken to uh lord miller about that because the movie obviously steve ditko and uh and stan lee have both passed away this year i believe ditko passed away this year as well right sean I I, am i wrong so. on that okay uh, maybe. I, 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 but he has I passed away right. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so um but so that it, it's a there's a lot weighing on on this movie about those two guys uh those two heavyweights gone yep. um and that yeah that scene is pretty incredible I asked Phil Lord about what the art is to writing a Stanley cameo because you know the Stanley cameo has become such a staple in these Marvel films he gave a great answer to it he actually revealed what the cameo was in my interview which I won't say here but I'll put it up online I don't think it's too much of a spoiler but we can get into that later well but- what I'll
1: say is they it's not that they lucked out but like what happens in the scene could have just been a normal scene, but because Uh, we lost Stan, the scene without changing takes on a whole other significance. And it's, it's, it works in the film's benefit that way.
2: Yeah. And it's really well done. And I was asked, I actually asked Shamik if he got to record that scene with, Stan Lee and, and he said he didn't get to record it with them because it, it's always right. interesting how the Stanley cameo works because like he's probably there for a day right he comes in real quick does his shot I, I, I always love the one a lot in, of
1: his cameos he records like multiple cameos in one day
2: really yeah, yeah. I, I always love the Homecoming one I, I, that one's great and but there's so many there's so many actually no my my favorite is probably the Infinity War on the bus but that's, we'll get to that later but uh but there's so many the movie's very special it feels special yeah. and I'll tell you this and I and I kind of believe in these these occurrences in life. I thought this was kind of interesting. I was driving to see Spider-Man with my wife, and there's a there's a song that's used in the movie by Post Malone called Sun uh, – I can't remember the name of it. It's the, John. it's the song that, that Shamik is kind of singing with his headphones. It's a oh, Post yeah. Malone song. Mm-hmm. So uh, um, I, I'm trying to remember the name of it off the top of my – Sunflower, I think, is, or something like that. I was on the way to the movie, and the Post Malone song came on my radio, and I had never heard it before. And I'm like, oh, I, I guess I didn't know Post Malone had a new song out. So I park my car, I get in the, in, into the theater, I go upstairs, I sit down in my seat, and 10 minutes into the film, the song comes on. Yeah. And it's like this like, very strange chain of events, and the song is now positioned as a f- song on the soundtrack. It's actually, um, I think it just kind of happily became part of the movie. So um, that becomes kind of a through line in the film as well. So yeah, I mean, the animation in this movie is just stunning. I've never seen anything anything look like
0: this ever it looks so cool it's so well done jake do you know when you're gonna get to see it i don't know every uh chance every time they've screened it in chicago i've either been traveling or they screened it again last night i'm i was moderating the q a with uh barry jenkins so um i might be one of those people that just has to go buy a ticket uh opening weekend which if based on the quality of the film i'm more than happy to do
2: these all sound like excuses to me, Jake, um, and I, I think you're just uh, actively not trying to see this movie. Yeah. So, we a, yeah, yeah we, we 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 get it. I we don't understand. know why you
1: hate the movie. It's yeah, I don't. We don't. It's get a it. good movie, I mean, Jake.
2: We we already know you hated Roma, but I, I didn't know you were already actively hating this one. I mean, come on. All right, I'm five out of
0: five. Fury <laughs> <laughs> that is building up inside of me right now. Man, and I don't Fury? want to scream
1: out what I'm thinking because this is Kevin, a family friendly
0: podcast. What
1: star rating are you at, BDK?
2: <laughs> oh, for Spider Man. Yeah. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to hold off on of my, of my official rating until the review day because I don't okay. know if I'm allowed to say that yet. Okay. Am I allowed Fair to? I think we're under embargo. I loved it. I mean, I love the movie. Don't get me wrong. I just you can wait. I don't know if That's I'm allowed okay. to say that. You might
1: be under a different one.
2: Um, I think we have weird embargoes here in D.C. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. All right, this week's blend game. Uh, w- I which don't even we want to know if I want to play. Without even... Uh, <laughs> hmm? Gabe's happy. We'll wrap the show up quicker. <laughs> uh, we picked Eastwood Blend without actually knowing that we were going to get a chance to go and interview Clint Eastwood. So maybe we'll add something to it after we see The Mule. But we're playing Eastwood Blend. It is the favorite films of Clint Eastwood. We uh, loosened the rules of the, sh- of the game this week so that we could do anything that he potentially directed or starred in or did both or was just involved in in some way, shape or form. So, Kevin, I've been told that you get to go first.
2: So this is really strange so the 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 film that I picked is because of a very specific scene, and as we were starting the show, I went back to um, find the exact dialogue of the scenes so I want to make sure I had the numbers right for the for the dialogue that he says and I just realized that the scene itself has an animal in it that is now titled of the new movie that we're interviewing him for, which is the mule so now and now I'm like. I have to bring this up to him when I, when I interview him. Do you guys know what I'm referring to yet or no? No. Okay. What movie is he in with a mule? All right. So my favorite, my ultimate, ultimate favorite scene ever with Clint Eastwood is the reason why I chose Fistful, uh, for Fistful of Dollars. Okay. Um, and there's a scene in Fistful of Dollars where he is riding into town and he tells the coffin maker to prepare three coffins for him because this, the, the, you know, he was foreshadowing. He's about to, he's about to mess some people up, right? Yeah. I mean, like in Clint Eastwood style. Sure. And, and so the scene then proceeds, and there's like a group of guys laughing at Clint Eastwood's mule. He calls it a mule. I, I, I always thought it was a horse. That's why I was reading the dialogue again. But he goes, hey, my, my mule doesn't appreciate you laughing at him. I need you to <laughs> apologize to him. I want to, uh, can you please apologize? I mean, these guys are like hard like, like criminals that he's referring yeah. to. Like, can you please apologize for laughing at my mule? And they refuse <laughs> to apologize. So he just blows them all away. I mean, it's like, it's like Clint Eastwood style. And then when he rides back away, and by the way, it, it's the subtlety of how he says it you know my mule doesn't appreciate you laughing at him. Can you apologize to him? I mean it's so beautiful. Watch the scene if you haven't seen it. Um and sir Sergio Leone obviously this is the Man with the No Name trilogy. I mean Good the Bad and the Ugly is probably my favorite film of the trilogy, but this scene alone hands down my favorite thing Clint Eastwood ever did. And so so remember I told you he told the guy to prepare three coffins. So he ends up killing four guys. So he ends up uh dry or uh, you know taking back off to leave the town, and he goes, oh, my mistake, prepare for, I mean, it was just like, I don't know, I just love the, I love the way he executed that scene, and just the way it shot, I mean, Leone with his extreme close-ups on his eyes, Um, I don't know, that, when I think of Clint Eastwood, that is the ultimate scene that I go to, I remember talking to him, I interviewed him, the first time I ever interviewed him was Jay Edgar, it was on red carpet in DC, and I think I had gotten back to the station and I was showing people that scene over and over again. But just look it up on YouTube. It's fistful of dollars. Um, just type in like mule scene or co- <laughs> type in, maybe type in coffin scene. Coffin's probably the word, the word that'll help it come up. But now that I'm thinking about it and I'm interviewing him for a movie called The Mule, which I know is not, I mean, it's playing a drug mule. It's a different type of mule. But... I, gotta I don't bring care, that up. you have
1: to bring it
0: up. I somehow. have to bring that up. That, yes. that Kevin seems- is gonna use two and a half minutes of his four minutes <laughs> setting up like the connection and trying to over-explain <laughs> how he understands that they're different kinds
1: of mules. <laughs> I mean, and that I mean Clint's response, it's not that kind of mule.
2: Yeah. Oh my god. At <laughs> I mean, some I'm point not in not the movie, <laughs> at some point in the movie, if he says something along the lines of prepare three coffins. Just as a throwback, which I don't think he'll do, no. I'm, I'm gonna. It's gonna be my number one of the year. I mean, no. I, it's, no. you know, it's gonna, it's gonna be, it's gonna be amazing. Not but, the uh, film, just his own. <laughs> just that scene. Uh, but listen, I, I know that's an obscure, a very obscure thing to bring up. But I was just thinking about that, and that's my favorite moment he's ever had in a movie. So that just by default becomes my favorite Clint performance. But. Again, I mean, listen. The guy has done a zillion things, and there's a million things to choose from. That's just my
1: personal connection. That's, to what Houston, the, that's so. the point of the game. That's the beauty yeah. of the blend game is we pick yeah. favorites and have a, a really weird reasons why we choose them. Right. So let's get to let's get to Jake's. Jakey, you're next.
0: Uh, if you remember, last week uh, was Stallone blend, and yes. I chose Creed because I said that it portrayed one of my all-time favorite cinematic characters as uh, a very human broken person and and, and proved that our heroes have the ability to age and weather down and potentially get sick and get cancer and that sort of also sort of applies to why I chose my favorite Clint Eastwood movie uh, as unforgiven because Ooh. we grew up with well, not we grew up a lot of people grew up with, Clint Eastwood being uh, the man with no name, being Blondie, be Dirty Harry, whatever the case may be. There's just this almost uh, impenetrable sort of cinematic hero that was always going to ride away into into the dust. And, and we were always going to sort of wonder what happened to this guy. And he was always just this unbelievable badass. And when we meet him at the beginning of Unforgiven, he's given up that life. He's broken down because his wife has been killed. He's literally falling down in like pig crap because he's trying to wrestle around with the pigs to try to, you know, and it's this version of a guy who's kind of also looking to get back into his glory. And and it really is. It's such an interesting reflection and uh, really an unglamorous version of what happens to these kind of characters that he spent his entire life playing. And if he wanted to, could have kept playing those people as long as he, as long as he wanted to. But he, took it upon himself to just say, hey, things don't always work out as well for these guys as you think they're going to. And I just really, I rewatched that film recently because we all, we knew we were going to get it Clint, and I really specifically wanted to rewatch that one. And it's just such an amazing, not just with Clint, because I know we were also able to pick based on uh, work he did behind the camera, and obviously he directed Unforgiven, and it's such, I think, it's his best directorial effort. Um, I think it's his most uh, assured effort as a director. I mean, I think that is one of my all-time favorite Westerns ever. I mean, you get a, in a killer performance from Gene Hackman, for which he won an Oscar, an amazing performance uh, from uh, from Morgan Freeman. Uh, just really, it's, it's just uh, both his work in front of and behind the camera, what he's able to say about, in my opinion, his own legacy and the characters that he spent his entire career playing and almost not spit in the face of them, but say, hey, they're not as as uh as ongoingly cool as you think they're going to be i think says a lot about him as a storyteller so that's why i choose unforgiven
2: which is interesting
0: because that's exactly like it's funny that jake everything jake just
2: said is great because that's literally what unforgiven was 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 that aspect of that character in a more
0: realistic
2: grounded level right
0: so that it's almost like a few dollars more once he's 70 years old exactly That, that and that's kind
2: of it's interesting that we both found that route, but different sides of it. Because I, I loved that over the top, just like nobody can touch me. I, I you know, that, that, that character that we had in, in, in the man with no name in the, in the Leone film. So yeah, it's funny though, because Unforgiven really is that, is that more grounded, realistic version of who that person would end up right. becoming. Um, I always just liked the way he would just deliver his lines in the, in the, in like the Dirty Harry films, or just the un- the untouchableness of that type. of
0: I mean, of you person. really can't have an appreciation for one without the other. I don't think exactly. you appreciate Unforgiven yeah. without the Sergio Leone trilogy, and yeah. and obviously, I don't. You know, I I think the Sergio Leone trilogy is made better by sort of in theory thinking that what happens to this guy is is what is him and Unforgiven. Can I ask a stupid question? I all my life I've said Leone. Is that not right? Leone. Sergio Leone. I think it's Sergio Leone.
1: Okay.
2: Sergio Leone. Sergio cool. Leone. Well, my apologies. I, is. I, I, uh, I apologize for my uh, mistake. <laughs> Mist- I made a, I made a mistake. I always thought it was um, Leone because there's an E at the end.
1: I get to go next. And I just want to, before I give my choice, point out that Clint Eastwood doesn't get enough credit for the fact that he made two movies where his co-star was an orangutan. Uh, every, <laughs> every which way you can. I was wondering if it's every, which, every way which way, yeah. I was
0: yeah. If anyone was going to joke. About I mean,
1: those it. are legitimately two movies that he made that are just like redneck soap operas, where his co-star is is an orangutan. Like, I mean, imagine if we were journalists back in the day covering those movies, we'd be writing infinite stories about Clint and his orangutan. They're fantastic films if you haven't seen them. Please look them up. Uh, I wanted to pick an Eastwood film where he was a director also, because I think that's such a significant part of his career. Um, um, And the thing about Eastwood as a director that is fascinating to me is that um, because he's made some amazing, amazing films, he gets, uh, and because he's Clint, he gets the instant credibility that like when you know that there's an Eastwood movie coming, you automatically, you put it on a pedestal and you wait to be potentially proven wrong, right? And every once in a while, he he proves you wrong. He gives you, like, a couple of body blows, but they're not great movies. It's like Flags of Our Father, Changeling, Invictus. They're movies where, like, there's good things going on in them, but you would never be like, that's a great movie. You know, like, I'm going to put that movie on now, hereafter. You know, like, there's a bunch of movies in here where you're like, oh, the new Clint, and then it turns out to be, like, true crime, you know, or blood work or something like that. And you're like, all right, that wasn't a Clint. But then when he delivers The Haymaker... You're just like, wow, what? That was incredible. This is Clint. Why did him Clint can't do this all the time? And the one that floored me the most that I'll always go back to is, as my favorite work of his is million dollar baby. Um, wow. Million dollar baby is so incredible for, for this reason. Um, it is an awesome boxing movie for most of its run, right? It's this grizzled trainer who doesn't want to train this girl uh Hillary Swank is so great as the spunky, you know, just I'm not gonna go away, so you might as well start training me. Uh Morgan Freeman's terrific as uh the counterpart to Clint, the two grumpy old men sort of, and then he finally sees something inside this girl that he's going to uh train her and bring her up, and they rise the ranks, and and it could have been a Rocky movie, right? And then And spoiler alert, if you haven't seen Million Dollar Baby, but turn this podcast off right now and go away, that movie changes gears and takes a hard left turn when she becomes injured. And it becomes this quadriplegic story and this girl in the hospital bed and the the father figure who's grown to love her. And in anyone else's hands, that movie probably falls flat on its face and you just don't believe, you know, either of the storylines and, and you sort of question like, what the heck happened? But this, the, the back half of Million Dollar Baby devastated me because Clint handled the material so wonderfully. And I don't think he's always the most subtle director, but I thought he just perfectly... Balanced uh, the two materials between uh, the relationships that were so pivotal to the beginning of Million Dollar Baby to make it a really riveting uh, up through the ranks sports movie to then change gears and become this amazing uh, talk about what do you do when somebody who you love is is hurt beyond compare and isn't going to be able to bounce back do you, pull the plug and tremendous, tremendous, tremendous movie that deserved every accolade that it got that year, and I think it caught most people by surprise. And that, I think, is, what, is the movie that people circle, and they're like, yeah, but you remember when he came back with Million Dollar Baby and it swept the Oscars? And and every time he has a new one coming we're always like, maybe this is the one. And it's quite often not. Quite often it's like Jay Edgar, but Million Dollar Baby, to me, blew me away.
2: Blele I away. respect your passion in that film. I just... I didn't love Million Dollar Baby. I don't know no. how Jay felt about it. I, I I felt I felt it to be very manipulative. Um, mm. I, 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 I think... Performance-wise, there's some great storytelling in there. Um, I I just I remember liking it a lot, and then revisiting it and just feeling very manipulated. Um, mm-hmm. Like I feel like there are there are times where you can feel like a filmmaker is just trying to make you feel bad or mm-hmm. feel. Uh, uh, and I think um, it, it subtlety and that aspect, yeah, I thought it was a bit overdone. Now, I mean, it's interesting because like directing-wise, I still my favorite movie he ever directed is Mystic River. Um. So I, I always kind of go back to that one. I think Million Dollar Baby is very good. I, Jake, are you are you in love with that movie? I'm just. I'm just I honestly I have
0: not seen it since it came out in theaters, and uh, which was what 14, 15 years ago. Yeah. And I mean, in and, and that if that math is correct, I would have been 14 or 15 years old. Um, so I, it needs a revisit before I can definitively say what I, what I think about it. And I'm in no way diminishing anything you just said, Sean, I'm just
2: reacting to that film in general, because I mean, the beauty of what we all do is that we are all touched by different types of movies for different ways. And, you know, you don't love Forrest Gump. I love Forrest Gump. I mean, I mean, regardless of what, Uh, I say, I respect every word you just said. And I'm like, I, and you're actually making me want to revisit it. I mean, here's the thing. I could pop Million Dollar Baby on tomorrow Mm. and it could end and I could go, oh my God, that's one of the best (laughs) movies I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it's possible that at the point in my life when I saw it, maybe I was in a weird emotional spot. I have no clue where I was emotionally when I first saw that movie. So I kind of, after what you just said, want to revisit it solely based on your high praise to see if I maybe missed something.
1: Sweet. I know at the time you told me you wanted it to Hillary tank.
2: <laughs> oh yeah. See, there we go. There we go. Yeah. I, I, am really, I, I actually do want to ask Clint Eastwood on Sunday. Kalina, if
0: you're listening, my job is available. <laughs> I do wonder though, well,
2: do you think, do you it's think, open. Do you think Clint Eastwood uses Sprint Eastwood, like even so he can get good like cell service? I do wonder that. I sure hope um, so. I, I, I mean, we can ask him on Sunday because I would love to know if. And also, um, um, if yeah, someone, why answer, are you here he, if you he can't answer, end this?
1: Kevin? He, Kevin, he would answer million dollar maybe. Ah, oh, yeah,
2: and then, you know, sometimes when I go into interviews, I have some, you know, I have some, uh, some spots on my suit from my oh, hair, so maybe I can get a, a, a lint roller Eastwood, yeah, to, to get it off on when I go lint to roller? the, uh, good, yeah. Good <laughs> All right, audience uh, picks. Christine uh,
1: Swordski says Gran Torino. Travis Smith chose Heartbreak Ridge. Mac Rowden says Unforgiven, uh, so he agrees with Jake. And Matt Cook uh, says Two his two of them. Favorite directed, unforgiven, favorite overall, the good, the bad, and the ugly, which I think is really nice. cool. Do
0: you so, think his favorite I, really, I don't know if this is a hot take, but I hate Gran Torino.
1: I, I love Gran, hate Gran I Torino. I love Gran Torino.
0: Actively hated it. Oh, yeah. I hate that. movie what,
2: what do you like what do you dislike more, Jake? Gran Torino or Fantastic Beastwood? <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: Come on! <laughs> uh, next week's game, uh, as we're fast approaching episode number fifty, uh, is going to be a broader one. We're opening up uh, the floodgates, and you can go in any direction you want to go with this. Um, but it's hashtag sequel blend, suggested by Kevin McCarthy, uh, floated on on the show before, excuse me, but not necessarily uh, dove into. I think I think it sort of came up when we when I brought up the Toy Story two as the greatest sequel. Uh, ever, ever, cre- ever created, <laughs> and got <laughs> shouted down. Rightfully so. I was wrong. Um, so yeah, it's sequel blend. And again, the, what's going to make sequel blend the most fun is that it's not. We're not arguing what is the best of all time. We're talking about what is our favorite of all time. And Kevin can't say T2, so that's the rule. <laughs> unfortunately. Yes, Jake. So for Jake, next I week, do, Jake,
2: Jake, I think one of us. Yeah. And this is not my joke. I can't take credit for this. One of us needs to say to do the the, the Christian Bale joke to Christian Bale on Sunday. Like, you know, what do you call it when Batman skips church? Christian Bale? I think think someone needs to say that right, too. I'll tell you what. I'm going to leave that to you, but I want to do my interview
0: first. So let me go in first. And then you go in there and you drop that BS. But I mean, we've so, been—I mean, uh, we do need to
2: tell him uh, about like this is such a great year for screeners. We've been getting so much Christian mail about like all you know all these screeners that are coming in.
1: G- Gabe really wants us to bail out of this conversation. Do you so think that? Do week, you think that please, when he
2: lost the weight for after playing Vice, he had to eat a lot of Christian
1: kale? Reach I mean, out on Twitter using hashtag sequel in blends. the show. He will keep
2: going. His favorite Tom movie know. is
1: Christian. You've got mail. <laughs> your your pick. <laughs> (laughs) via email at realblend at cinemablend.com obviously on social media you can find at Jake's Takes at Kevin McCarthy TV or at Sean underscore O'Connell go over to the iTunes page please leave us a star rating we're still trying to get to 100 we don't want to Christian fail in our mission to get there. Uh, if you leave us a review, we'll read at the top of next week's episode. Did you ever notice that Christian
2: that Christian loves that movie um, Jackie Brown because
1: Robert Forster played a Christian Balesman? Thank you right? everyone like, for right? tuning in to episode number forty-seven <laughs> of Real Blend. We love you guys for following. Yeah. We will talk to you next week. Goodbye, all.
2: Wait, 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 wait. Hello, Dun, Dunkirk, and also um, I wonder what Christian's favorite. Uh, uh bail uh oh, ale i was like ah come on ah. i was gonna do an ale joke like a like a beer joke <laughs> please leave that <laughs> in Gabe. please leave that <laughs> in
1: dunkirk transform your home in one weekend with paint from the Arts. get a paint that combines durability and gorgeous color dutch boys Duraclean interior paint and primer in one offers stay clean technology making your home stay beautiful and clean longer And with Dutch Boy's easy-opening, smooth-pouring container, transforming your home has never been easier. Save big money on Dutch Boy Paints and head into Menards to get your paint project started today. Save big money at Menards.